podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommies. I'm Jim Boardman and as always I'm with Jay Reed. And if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. Hope you enjoy it, hope you stick around. And by all means send us some feedback if you like. You know, we've got we've got thick skins, we can take it, can't we, Jay? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, be a scouse mentality if you can't give it and take it at the same time. So <laughs> if you're gonna put your mouth out there, you've got to be prepared to have your ear bashed as well. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? I mean that's why um well, we'll mention. Let's get them out of the way early. That's why Evertonians, I think, are so mouthy because they sort of they lash out a lot and a lot and a lot, and they just dig a bigger hole for themselves, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they, they don't get a buy a podcast each week that we record every other weekend without mentioning the blue side, um, <laughs> and they are quite shouted. But I am, for once, I am going to give them a tad bit of credit. Um, yesterday, I was out walking a dog up on Everton Brow. Um, because we partnered at a hospital visit, so to kill mm-hmm. kill the time rather than sitting in the car. I took the dog for a little walk. Um, and their stadium is being built. <laughs> I didn't know how far along it is, but it, it, it it's mighty impressive. It's quite the uh, structure that they're putting up there, to be fair, on, on the uh, on the waterfront. And it does stand out like a sore thumb so far. But, you know, um, whether they, they have any joy in that, we will see. Um, but all I can say is it's going to be from what? The distance look of this metal structure going up, it looks a lot better than the wooden thing that was over the other side of the hill that I dare not cross and have a look at. Um, yeah. So, you know, if we are going to mention the Blues with any sort of semblance of credit, then it seems like they've they've got themselves something that potentially could be good. Um, the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, whether it's just going to be like a sheep in wolf's clothing or not, that stadium forum, we'll have to find out, won't we? Maybe the stadium will look good. and I don't know. Um, but it's needed. It's needed. That's one thing about, about football. I, I do say about Everton, actually, is that it surprised me it te- it's taken so long for them to kind of find some money, for want of a better way of putting it. Because with the Premier League being what it is and the amount of money it generates, it surprised me it's taken so long for them to get someone in with a bit more money, you can kind of help that grow. And, and that I know that kind of went sideways and everything that went on in Russia and all that's not helped. But, you know, um, as much as as much as we dislike a lot of things about them, it wouldn't be the same without them, would it? So we've got to, you know, we've got to wish them well with that. Yeah, that's, I suppose, you know, they do live in the past a lot. You know, the, the glory days, the, the hard back to the 80s because, well, you know, since 1995, not nothing really happened for the poor <laughs> lads. Um, so, you know, a stadium befitting of those that live in the past. But yeah, they've they've got to play catch up if you if you're being brutally honest. Like, you know, there's a couple of teams that come up and down, the likes of say Bournemouth and maybe Norwich, um, with stadiums that, you know, befitting for the championship, not really befitting of the, the Premier League and the the whole spectacle and glory that it is. So Everton really are lagging behind in, in what's left in in the modern game, there's not many teams with small ramshackled stadiums with several bollards of restrictive views. Although, if you are an Everton fan, maybe restrictive view isn't such a bad thing at the moment. Yeah, I think they, I think they charge more for those tickets now, don't they? So you can go and hide. Them, you, know? <laughs> you could even have a restrictive view or a balaclava. It's your choice. Yeah, um, yeah, the balaclava is good in case you get on telly, then no one recognises you. But uh, um, I think the stadium's just one part of the jigsaw, though. I think we what's made a difference in the Premier League, like going back to those days when Everton could win things, which was before the Premier League was invented, which for some people was when football was invented. But going back to those days, it wasn't just that we had those stadiums that needed updating. It was the way that commercial things were exploited. And 
I think back when the Premier League started, there was a lot of resistance. Certainly, I can remember people going mad that there was a, a McDonald's logo appeared on the side of the cop because the cop had been rebuilt as the, as what we see it as now from the old standing version. And part of the work that was done was a, a little McDonald's was in the cot, which seems mad to think. I do wonder if that really happened or whether I was drinking too much. Oh, that, that, was, that was that was good. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I mean, it was it was a nightmare to be saved, much worse than what it probably is nowadays, even though it can be a bit chaotic. But yeah, McDonald's in the cot, that, that invokes some weird memories. <laughs> but which I don't think anyone was too bothered about the Mackies in the cot, but the Mackies logo on the side of the cot was what wound people up and that. I think when I don't know how long afterwards that went eventually, and and we've not bothered putting any sort of sponsor sort of logos in that position as far as I know since, and it's kind of it's you know it's the stand that's I don't think the, the stand will ever have a sponsor's name. I might be wrong, but I don't think it will, or or even I think it'd just be the copy. It'll either not have a sponsor's name, or it would not be named after a person. Like we've got the old centenary stand or the old Kemlin, some of us call it is now Sir Kenny's stand, but. That that commercial side, we as as a club, we sat back and watched other clubs, particularly that one down the East Lanks, exploit every single bit of money they could, and you know, and squeeze everything out of the fans and and companies and so on to get every penny they could make. They didn't just rebuild Old Trafford and keep adding bits to it. They kept they, they rebuilt the commercial side, and it took us a long time to catch up to that. And I suppose now we're at a point where you've maybe got a sort of hope that your club doesn't go and get themselves a dodgy sponsor and at a push the latest one announced by Liverpool you could maybe say it's dodgy because obviously well it's Coca-Cola and if you get full fat Coke you're getting a lot of calories in this um, brown fizzy drink aren't you and you know there's a lot of people frowning upon that but they tend to kind of push the other stuff now like the Coke Zero and the Diet Coke so I don't know, it feels like it's been a long time coming, this as a sponsor, because I can remember, well, for one thing, I remember us winning the Coca-Cola Cup, and you could get sort of Liverpool-themed shirts with the Coke logo on. But there was a long spell where people thought that was going to be our next big sponsor, and that was going to be on the front of the shirts. And this sponsorship doesn't do that. But from what you've been saying, people have already started the mock-ups of the, the shirts with Coca-Cola on the front. Yeah, and I think the statement sort of released from Liverpool regarding... Uh, the announcement is obviously two famous red and white brands. Um, so yeah, like you know, it's an easy, easy shipping for people to make up mock up of these kits, and you know, depend on your personal opinion of of football kits. Um, you know, the ones that fans make and put out there on social media is often much more of a of an eye appeal um, to those that we actually do end up getting. Um, put into the club shop and what the, the lads wear on the pitch from week in, week out. So, you know, a Coke logo on red shirts is a natural, seamless fit. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're right in saying it, it has been a long time coming. Like, we, maybe the most famous brand of the modern era that we're associated with is probably Carlsberg because we yeah. had that on our shirts for, for several years. Um, if you ask the average man in the streets what is standard chartered, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I'm not sure. You know, many many people would honestly say they know what they are. They might they might know that a bank, they might know the sort of a financial investment firm, or they might just not know what they are at all. They might say the building society, or something like it, it is. It's a mystery in terms of you know an English or a British. Um, Big brand. I mean, you, you only have to go back for the years of what Man United, for example, um, to reference them again, like the likes of Vodafone and Sharp back in the day. Obviously, as a as a technology arm, and you know they always seem to be turning over their um, sponsorships. And even those around the pitch and around on the stadium and stuff like that, they they have a lot of global brands. And that's one thing I think maybe you could you could question the pool on. Have we got these massive global names or there's something that we want I don't know it doesn't maybe probably fit the ethos of the club and the people and the city that it represents that we are overly flashy we're quite happy with what we've got um, we're quite happy with you know some sort of maybe smaller underappreciated um, associations and brands and we like to to grow our own success um, again representative of the people I would say around the, the city and the club um, but 
you know, the, the question on the other hand will always be asked, well, we've got to compete with, you know, clubs who are funded by oil states who are inventing sponsorships in one of the way that we can't compete with in a realistic way because they're cheating the system. So we've mm. got to find other ways to do it. And if if getting into into bed really with a, a massive um, soft drink band is an avenue which we are going to explore, which could give us some more commercial revenue. I don't suppose it would be a bad thing. Um, the question I would have is, we have the issue regarding Mo Salah's contract in the summer, and there was there was words to be said that maybe it was regarding image rights and stuff like that. That was the sticking point, and I don't know how that figured out. So I don't know what image rights Liverpool have got. Mo Salah's got that's not probably not something that we'll ever know, but. He is connected to Pepsi as a brand. He does a lot of Pepsi affairs with Lionel Messi and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, they're, um, they're Champions League sponsors as well, aren't they? They were. Sort of yeah, I wouldn't imagine we'll see Coca Cola, Mo Salah sort of advertisements. But you know, we've got plenty of other commercially um, desirable players that we can probably put out there. And you know, it's not something that I think is. It's going to make too much headlines unless, like, you know, the Anfield Road end is going to be called the Coca-Cola Anfield Road stand, which mm-hmm. I think bringing a full circle back to the, the McDonald's and the cop thing, I think it will be something that would maybe rattle a few cages, but I think every every match going fan or the pool fan would, would probably still call it the Anfield Road, regardless of what yeah. you put on there. Um, I think the four stands, as you say, you still refer to the Centenaries, the Kemlin and you know, it's just a Kenny Dagley stand, but I would still say it's a centenary stand on, on occasions. It's just whatever's yeah. in your mind. Um, so who who knows where, where the sponsorship goes? But I think at the end of the day, it, a business decision has been made and if it gives us more financial clout to, to maybe recruit some some players, then I don't think you'll hear many arguments from the majority of the fan base. No, and I think I think keeping like the names out of it, I think, like I look at, there's a stadium in in Bolton. Well, actually, it's in a place called Horwich, from what some people say, but it's up, up there anyway. And I think of it as the Reebok Stadium, but they haven't been sponsored by Reebok in years. I think, I think it's something like the University of Bolton Stadium now. But that stadium's never had a name, really, that that you would know of. Like the Emirates has never had a name, and the Etihad has for a long time not really had a name. You know, it did have a name for a while. The, these these sort of I don't know. There's something not quite right about that, in my view. You know, I think you, you, everybody knows that we play at Anfield. That is where we play. It's Anfield, and if there's a big sponsor involved with us, they kind of get associated with that without having to have the name on the stadium. So, I just hope we never go down that line. And I think, like you were saying then about some clubs um, having fake sponsors, which we all know is a kind of which one of our other companies can we pretend to sponsor our club now? Um, we've not done that. And I'm just looking at like a list of sponsors on the Liverpool website now. And I'll be honest, I don't recognise all of them. But there's none jumping out at me that are kind of, you know, FSG's little side projects or anything. Maybe there, maybe there are, I don't know. But they don't look like that way. I mean, on this one, and I imagine you get, from what I can remember, it always used to be on the LFC website. If you were in different parts of the world, you might see different sponsors because it'd be... We might have a sponsor who only does Europe or only does the the Middle East or, and so on, um, but on the one I'm looking at, there's Carlsberg, Wasabi, Vista, Johnson's, the Cleaners, um, Sonos, EA Sports. There's loads. I've not even named them all. And Nivea Men, which of course we can't forget because of the way that they made Adam Lallana look so strange that time. But um, Quan, <laughs> Cabri. Um, I mean, I think Cabri. Have we still got a, Dunkin' Donuts? I can't I'm, I'm see sure. it. I can't see it. Yeah, that's no sign of that. And that's a shame in yeah. a way because they opened the shop in Liverpool, didn't they, and didn't really open yeah. that many more. Um, but, but that was, yeah. I, I think that was, you know, the major American brand of, it's not it's not huge in, in the UK, but it's big in America um, from my time of being there. But that they was the one. Up. Do you remember yeah, when that they was the one that as the, well? The only sort of really ventured into was Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, and Dunkin' Donuts when they when they launched the partnership, they sort of tried to rework the Liverpool badge and completely, completely messed up by changing the Eternal Flames in the Liverpool crest to uh, milkshakes. I think it was, 
and you know f- so like lacking understanding of what they were doing and whether i mean i, I just find that shocking because i can't help but think that big brands talk to each other before anything goes out and i mean we we can laugh at well not laugh we can complain at dunkin donuts for basically you know replacing eternal flames for the 96 as it was at the time with milkshake cups i mean that that was just such a bad thing to do but why weren't they warned and that maybe also says a lot about the club as well because things like this happen but then things like this get fixed and i think that's one thing i've enjoyed about being a liverpool fan in this era is that yeah things go wrong but hands get held up efforts get made and things get fixed near enough with everything so I mean, you can list a load of mistakes that the owners have made or the people running the club have made, but you can't kind of list that many that are still there now, can you? You know, there's the the thing about ticket pricing, they listened. The thing about the uh, European Super League, did they clearly listen to that? Um, you know, and as I've just said now, other um, sponsors um, sacrileging are bad, if that's the right word. You know that's also stopped as well. So they do, they do learn, and that that's an ethos running right the way through the club, isn't it? All the way down to Klopp and his players and him. You know, learning from mistakes. Things go wrong. Things get fixed. Yeah, you, you can't knock um, them too much in terms of of the the reaction to things, um, especially commercially and stuff like that. When when things have been questioned, the they do tend to listen um, on the whole. I mean, there's there's underlying issues that I think um, the American approach to sports and business will always be different to that of of the English. Um, you know, American sports on the whole um, are set up in a, in a much different sort of environment and the way the whole system works. Obviously, the the, the lack of um, like promotion relegation is the big thing that is different to, to sports pretty much all around the world, especially football. Um, obviously, the MLS has grown in the last what, 15, 20 years from probably a, a handful of clubs to now um, several. And I think they have got a league below um, the MLS, um, like a development sort of thing for, for up-and-coming clubs to go through and then be promoted or included into the franchise system however it works over there I'm not entirely sure um, but it, it it is something that obviously that you know you'll have people like Gary Neville stand on the soapbox claiming the pyramid needs to be protected and stuff like that and mm. you know th- there's a lot of American interest and investment in, in British and English sports they're not going to change that um, like you know I think it's all you know standing there for for the reasons of getting your voice out there in, in the public domain, you know, Sky haven't had any games to show recently, so Gary Neville's been off doing other things, trying to be a politician with the Labour Party conference <laughs> and, you know, I think it's probably one of the few times Gary Neville's come to the city of Liverpool and, and probably been heard and listened and probably clapped off stage um, and not booed and heckled um, for, for some of the things he said, but yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's, a, it's one of the things we, we've said it several times uh, FSG are by far not the worst owners um, by by any means of football clubs currently um, in the domestic and international game so you know for, for everything they do wrong or questionable they do tend to sort of fix it in, in one way or another or, or seem to look like they're trying to fix things and there'll always be stuff that we'll never be happy about but you know if you wouldn't be a football fan if you weren't complaining about one thing or another. You know, imagine being a blue. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. Trying to argue whether you're going to have like you know home and bargain on the front or B and M bargains on the front of your shirt. So not even on <laughs> on that. You know, uh, looking at talking to sponsors though, something else. It's a little bit off topic for us in some ways, but it's not in others because I think it's going to hit home to a lot of people who are involved with AI and a lot of listeners to AI podcast, which is um, I only caught this yesterday. Hummel Sport, who are the kit manufacturers for the Danish national team uh, got together with the Danish national team and basically toned down all the details for the new World Cup shirts so the logo is is barely visible the the Hummel logo the Denmark badge is is barely visible Um, it's a red shirt that from a distance you'd think had no branding on it whatsoever and it's just because you know as they put it um, it's a protest against Qatar and its human rights record 
we don't want to be visible during a tournament that's cost thousands of people their lives. They're supporting the Danish national team all the way, but it's not the same supporting Qatar as a host nation. And as it says, we believe sport should bring people together. And when it doesn't, we want to make a statement. And I think that's really powerful because, you know, it, it says a hell of a lot about about everyone involved in that, doesn't it? And And about why this World Cup is so wrong. Yeah, it's actually a really nice share considering it's mm. it's blanked out um, and it all read the, the the nominal home shirt and the away shirt um, is all black. But there's something quite elusive and quite nice about an all black strip. Um, remember Allison in that black and gold goalkeeper's um, outfit that just looked quite imposing and quite dominant um, on him anyway because um, he's got re- he's quite got the yeah, he is. And I was just going to say quickly, they've got red, retro kids in the, kits in the club shop that are kind of blacked out. Which yeah, they look yeah, you, okay. You, I think you do get some nice stuff. Um, but yeah, on onto the, the message of what Homo is sending. Um, it, it is it's it's powerful in terms of you know they're, they're making a statement, and I think that obviously you've got the likes of. Harry Kane as England captain and other nation captains saying they're going to wear an armband and you know is an armband really overly visible um, and is it just you know media posturing for for media sake of of doing it because it seems to be the right thing but will and will that- FIFA let them you know because remember FIFA have always clamped down and UEFA have clamped down I mean I remember um, Robbie and and Steve McManaman wearing t-shirt supporting the dockers getting into trouble probably off the fa and then you hear so many other times when people are in trouble for political statements you know you can't sort of support ukraine in the war you know in in some sort of football authorities eyes you know there's there's so much of this where you can't make a political statement and you know armbands are one thing but this this gets i think this gets around anything that fifa might try and say that you can't you can't sort of publicly protest yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Make them not play? Throw them out of competition? I mean, I was listening to Talk Sport this morning for an hour or so and they, they were um, debating the, the topic um, and I only tend to listen to that station when Simon Jordan's on because, for again, I think I've said it in the past, he says some crazy things, but he does say quite a lot of sense and they yeah. come up with a quotation that, you know, Qatar... You can't host a, host a party without someone expecting someone to rummage around your stuff. And, you know, Qatar have opened themselves up. They openly want this World Cup for whatever reason or another. That can be debated so the cars come home. But they're happy to have this World Cup. And with that comes the criticism, comes the, the insight into your country and how you are dealing with things, how you've built the stadiums that the cost of lives um, on people who have built these stadiums rightfully or wrongly in, in their opinions. But it, it's been an, an effect that has not been good. Um, obviously, the human rights issues that goes on in that part of the world as well isn't isn't right. Um, so, you know, you will have people standing up and, and saying their own word. And, you know, the, the Scandinavian countries are very strong in their beliefs and they, they do come out with a lot of good things in terms of yeah. how they would like to portray messages. So, you know, you, you can't open yourself up and say, we would like to World Cup, but however, we want this, this and this. We'll, football, the message out there is football is for everyone and it really is. And at this current time, football on the rise, you know, women's game is, is improved massively that we've still got a huge issue with racism there's been another case this week with Richarlison playing for Brazil and being targeted by um, what what you would say is Tunisian fans because that's who they were playing in Paris but you know things thrown at them including a banana harping back to the, the horrific images of the 80s and that Ridiculous. needs to be sorted out but you know football is a game that brings the whole world together in the World Cup is a special occasion whether you're into international football or not and you can't open your doors and say we want to host this tournament without having questions asked as to why you don't want certain things to be a certain way. Yeah, and I think we, we've we've touched on it before as well. I mean, football is 
a lot of things as well as being that game of 11 people on each side kicking the ball around for an hour and a half it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of good things as well we talked about it being a distraction from real life to just get you get you through your week and through your month and through your year when when maybe things aren't great and in in, in the real world so to speak but it's it's also i mean it's it's a sounding board it's a place where where people listen to people people have views i mean simon jordan as you said is definitely someone who has views and, um, and as you say you won't always agree with him but he, he'll say things and it, it certainly get, gets you thinking and and he's certainly not someone I don't think he's just doing it for controversy he probably really does think a lot of these things but he, he you know he, he opens our ears to things and football opens your ears to things and this is an opportunity to sort of say to the world that this isn't good enough you know as people we're sort of sending out a message as fans that these things are not good enough. It's got to stop. It's got to change. You've got to open your eyes to it. And I think, I mean, I said this about, I think we, we both said this about Newcastle being under Saudi ownership, that if that had been us, what would we have done? And we probably, as much as we like to say otherwise, we'd have probably kind of accepted it. And once it was done, we'd have kind of accepted it. But all the way through that, we'd have been saying, you've got to change. You've got to be different. If you want to stay associated with us, you've got to show us that, that all these bad things about you from the past and you've got to start listening and that would give us some power to change things so i'm hoping if there's one good thing to come out of the world cup it's that stuff like this basically makes Qatar and other nations like that and you know and it's not just in that part of the world there's plenty of nations like that plenty of nations that want to be like that run by people who want the nations like that just to send out a message it's not good enough it can't be done anymore um i mean maybe to be honest with you we need football to start sending out some messages like that back home as well i mean let's face it we're not um we're not exactly a country that's run by wonderful people at the moment are we it just seems it just seems to get bad from bad to worse and i think we're going to need football to be a distraction all the more because um as you said gary neville round of applause you know clapped off a stage in liverpool he was with labor but i mean anything that's not tory this week is going to be is going to be seen as popular i think by more people than ever before probably in this nation yeah, I mean, I think I put a tweet out last night saying the, obviously the effects of what's gone on um, from this so-called mini-budget and clown government that we've got in, in place at the moment. If you've literally put the stake of your country on the line and you know you've you financially had to be interrupted by the bank of your country, surely that's grounds for sacking you on the job. Yeah. Like, you know, people lose their job for much less in this day and age. And, you know, this this government are, are trying to put in, in more ways for you to even lose the job and sometimes trying to justify it that, you know, to help in the economy. Well, I, I don't know what economy you're trying to help, but unless it's your back pocket and your bank balance, Cayman nobody, probably. nobody else is benefiting from, from the current situation in this country. And, you know, it, it's not just us in the UK who are, you were going through a rough patch. There's a lot of countries around the world, but as a as a financial force, we are one of the biggest, most dominant, you know, economies and countries in the world. But right now, we're becoming a laughing stock. And yeah, I think it's made even worse in in the current climate. As as football fans on the football podcast that we're speaking of, that we've had no distraction of of club football and um. You know, you've you've said many a time it, it is the it's only ninety minutes, but it's what you build up your week to. It's what you discuss after the game for the next couple of days, and it it's a blessing in one way that we're going into a month of October. I think we've got nine games or something like that across the the month, and you know, you will have the likes of Klopp will always have a, have a say. On, there's already too many games, but like we said last season. You want to be playing every game because that means you're in with a chance of winning every single trophy. And you know whether it'll happen this season, probably not, because you know you need a lot of things to line up and all things go your way. And as we've started this season, it's not really gone that way for us. But the the welcome return of football this Saturday, the Champions League next Tuesday, if I'm correct, is when uh, Rangers come to town. I think you know just just those two games. I and then we've got Arsenal and City on the horizon in the next couple of weeks. Like football is well and truly back, and we've yeah. got I think it's eight weeks or something, nine weeks until the World Cup. 
um, we're going to have to, you know, really knuckle down and, and give it a good bash here because, you know, seasons are defined in, in periods of, of intensity and we've got a high intense period. If you can hear some creepy alarm in the background, it's somebody's house alarm by me going off. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, we, we really need to make the most of this. And I think, you know, now's the time that we, we do and, you know, I think we're going to come into it now. We we seem to be getting things in, in the right way in the, in the injury department as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've said it in previous podcasts, Liverpool seem to come into their own when the games are thick and fast. I mean, Klopp will complain, as he should, I suppose, about fixtures coming really close. You know, when we get that Wednesday night uh, European fixture, then a, a lunchtime Saturday Premier League fixture, that's, that's, that's just pathetic, really, from football, that he can't find an answer to that. But that that said, when we're getting games every few days, you know, big games, intense games, we we seem to thrive in that environment. I mean, that that's kind of what does us good, um, and it has done before. I mean, I've always sort of thought back to that treble season of two thousand and one. The games were just coming thick and fast, and every single game was important, and we just put everything in to every single game. And obviously, after the end of that. You know, you're going to need a bit of time on the beach or something, and maybe they're not going to get the beach this time. But you know, football being what it is, you don't get many Premier League games before some international games come along and take over. It's, it's like you say, it's vital. These games are coming thick and fast, and then it's the World Cup. We've got to capitalise on this. We've got to make the most of it. I hope we've been sat back at Melwood, not not licking our wounds, and it's not Melwood anymore. But I can't stop saying that. I hope we. You know, we've been sat back at Kirby, not licking our wounds, but actually looking at what we can do to fix things that the players who didn't go away on international duty have had time to sort of, you know, think about, you know, different ways of improving the game and and working on stuff that fitness is starting to improve. And from what you were saying before as well and what we've read today, there does look like a good sign that there's going to be... um, not going to be quite down to the bare bones like we have been of, of you know of late this season. We're going to have a few uh, important names coming back that even if they're not going to start, they're going to be on the bench perhaps, and they're going to be sort of just doing that thing that oh, it's always a good thing in football. Footballers are competitive, and com- being competitive means being the one on the pitch and worrying about the one on the bench who could take the place. Yeah, and I think from from all reports coming out over the last twenty four hours as we record it. It's Thursday, um, so we're prior to Klopp's press conference. When this podcast goes out, I'm sure Klopp will have had his press conference and updated the world on yeah. the current in- injury issues. But um, from what's been put out there in the public eye, uh, Kanate looks like he's back in full training or is due to resume full training at, at any immediate moment. Um, Curtis Jones is, is back in the fold, hopefully. Um Robertson, maybe, I think there's a couple of question marks. I think Klopp will clear that up, but we all know there's an able deputy in Costa Simicus to fill in there. Um, and surprise, surprise, Jordan Henderson didn't feature for England, even though he went to training camp or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> I questioned why he was going. Some people say, well, you know, he's going for game time. Well, he didn't get any game time. I thought it was a bit of a risk um, for him to go and train where. You know, we couldn't keep a close eye on him, but yeah, nothing he'll have been seems training to against, come out like, of it. He'll have been training against, you know, highly finessed players like Harry Maguire, wouldn't he? And you just don't know what Oof. kind of injuries you're going to end up with in that. Well, you know, with the way he flings his feet round and his elbow, he doesn't know what day it is, never mind when he's <laughs> playing the football. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if it was just to go and give him some competitive training, then, then so be it. I'm sure the club have justified it to themselves in whatever way they did but if he's come back and he's sharper than what he was when he went because he's been trained on a daily basis then I guess you know maybe the outcome was was positive in in sending him to England Um, and then you know just on the international front we've had lads go away with the countries but not feature so you know you've not run the risk of of too much Potential injury knocks. Obviously, um, Salah was was freed up from international duty early and, and came back home. So um, he only had one game, and the likes of Fabinho and Firmino went to Brazil, um, albeit in France for their games, but didn't feature. Allison did, um, but you know maybe that just nails down who is the better Brazilian goalkeeper. Else, Edison, that's one for the City fans to the 
to try about. Um, and then other lads, you know, got game time. Jota, obviously, we all know he's coming back from from a long layoff. He got um, 60 minutes on Tuesday and he got a goal at the weekend. Diaz played for Colombia. Um, but we've got several lads like like Thiago, who's just come back from a, from a layoff, who's been allowed to to rest and recover. Um, and, you know, you'd imagine, let's say, we're, we're recording Thursday lunchtime. Um Probably usually four or five o'clock tonight. We'll probably get the old training pictures of of all the lads back at the training facility, and you know, people will then be able to debate who is there, who isn't there. But I think what we can say with with probably good confidence is going into the game against Brighton on Saturday, the bench um, will look a lot stronger than it has probably at any point this season. Um, we've got options, pretty much every position across the pitch, albeit maybe the fullbacks are, you know obvious choices in Simicus and Trent Alexander-Arnold but everywhere else I think there is healthy competition for places and as you say that can only be a positive thing and going into a big run of games we tend to be pretty good when we are rotating players when you know we've been at our best in, in recent years it's been times when Klopp and the coaching staff have maybe dropped in two or three changes a game and kept it fresh so you know there's cause for Put a lot of optimism there. Yeah, and I mean, just quickly on Trent, I mean, we mentioned him in the last, po- last podcast, but obviously England have done us a massive favour by just leaving him sat on his ass on the bench for two games. Um, although Gary Lineker was fuming about it, I didn't expect an ex-Blue to be so scathing about a Liverpool player being left out. And I think as Liverpool fans, we, we, we take Trent for granted, I think, sometimes. And, you know, he's not had his best season we, I think even he would say that, but he's had some good moments in that season and he's not had his best season at a time when no one at Anfield has had their best season. Um, but it's interesting just to see what the reaction's been from England fans that, you know, oh, it, it seems to be sort of quite universal now that Trent should be playing for England and that just seems weird because we, I'm just used to us always being slagged off. Yeah, I mean, I don't get it, but... On the other hand, I'm not really asked because it's England. Um, and as, as Jamie Carragher said once, ah, okay, it's only England. Yeah, and I mean, what was the, what was the statement? Uh, Southgate called Trent Trippier is a better all-round player. I think it was or footballer than than Trent Alexander-Arnold. Well, as Gary Lineker has quoted, like he's all ears, and so am I for this one because. Um, <laughs> I genuinely don't know what Trippier is better at than Trent Alexander-Arnold. There's a, maybe a debate that can be had as set ball, uh, set piece delivery, and as dead ball um, striking is up an option to say that you know he scored a couple of free kicks in his time at Newcastle. He put in a decent corner, and I think that's one thing that maybe Trent can improve on, especially for us. Is you know his dead ball delivery, but he's still a kid. Um, he's still only twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Um, yeah. He, he, he rose onto the scene very quickly, but as an all-round footballer, I don't think you're going to find a better one in that position at all in world football. He's, he is he's labelled a generational talent for the reason he is redefining the right-back position. He's not a right-wing-back, he is a right-back because we don't play wing-backs. He, he's the closest thing in terms of creativity that we've got to you know, Kevin De Bruyne, that's that's the comparison in the league because Kevin De Bruyne is the most creative player really um in our league at the moment and people will then look at Trent Alexander Arnold as, as the next, you know, person on the ladder down from him and there's no bigger compliment to that. So, you know, if if the man who is guiding England to six games without a win and I think it's no clean sheets in six games and going into the World Cup, then if he's the oracle of you know, knowledge and inspiration for this country, then best of luck to them in Qatar. Um, And if you want to leave Trent at home, that's absolutely fine. And there's been several pundits, players, um, whatever your opinion of them is in in the game, not a lot of them are coming out in support for Gareth and saying that, you know, leaving Trent out is the right thing to do unless you are a staunch ally to to Reese James, Kyle Walker or Keaton Trippier. Um, depending on your club preference, anyone who realistically level headed about football knows 
you'd rather have Trent in your football team than leave him on the bench or not have him in your squad at all. So, yeah, yeah you've done us a favour by not running the risk of injury and hopefully the lad comes back to Liverpool and if he's got aspirations to play for England in the World Cup, then you'd imagine he's only going to get his head down and try and prove everybody wrong. If, if you've got to prove Gareth Southgate wrong, then so be it. But I don't think you have, but that's me. Yeah, I think I think the reason Gareth Southgate doesn't play Trent Alexander-Arnold is because Gareth Southgate doesn't understand what Trent does because none of Gareth Southgate's books that he's looked at in the coaching manual section of the FA library have anything on the kind of football that Liverpool play and the kind of football that Trent plays when he plays for Liverpool. I think that is just an alien concept to Gareth Southgate. He's probably got the same coaching manuals that Roy Hodgson left behind and, you know, they're based on some theories that are outdated, in my opinion. Um, but as you say, good luck to them. None of us are bothered about it. Um, also in internationals, um, Uruguay had um, had a player score a goal for them that, that's apparently rubbish, but somehow managed to score for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think any player on international duty, apart from maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold, has had so much media attention and scrutiny. Um, over this international break and maybe that's because we're in a in a Liverpool social media bubble that we see a lot of this. Maybe, you know, maybe Harry Maguire, but you know, he deserves all the scrutiny he can get because he's shite. Um <laughs> but but Darwin Nunes, you know, was getting videos put out there of him training and you know, training's there for, for a reason to to improve and make mistakes and make sure you don't make them in a real time situation. But yeah. He scored a goal. Um, against the formidable Canada, who actually are a decent up-and-coming international team, I'm, I'm told. Um, and it was a, a good header of Luis Suarez, um, floated ball in, he climbed up high above the centre-half and put his header downward into the corner. Something, you know, people would label a typical number nine's goal, um, but it's good to see. And I think the lad has come off social media, um, which is something that Somebody said he'd done back in his Benfica days. He, when he joined Benfica, he had a bit of a, of a of a sketchy start in terms of you know he wasn't scoring regularly and people were criticising him. And he he got his head down. He's still only a young lad, remember. Um, took himself away from the the media attention in terms of what he can see on a day to day basis, and just you know got down to business and work. And I think if if that was what caused his rise in form and you know, we settled into that Benfica team and scored several goals. Then, if that's the sort of path he's taken with us, then you know we've got a lot of positive things to look forward to for him. Yeah, definitely, and I think it may make sense to come off social media and that because it's just full. I don't know. It just it just it it allows dickheads basically to to bully people. That's that's what social media does, and a lot of the time, sadly, they're just echoing what some of the not the social media, and I hate using the phrase mainstream media after Donald Trump hijacked it, but, you know, the the regular media, if you like, that, that just love to write a headline that often doesn't even cover the story that's underneath it that well, just to get some attention, just to cause trouble. And, you know, I mean, that's the side of the press, you know, it needs that needs to be changed as well. That's maybe something for another long podcast. But there's a reason why we say don't buy the sun, because that really relates to one particular story the sun did, where it lied on the front of its paper in 1989 about how people had died and helped, you know, helped fuel misinformation for years. But there's not just the sun. There's a lot of these papers that just, you know, they're just looking after their owners, looking after themselves, just just helping to feed into a world that that's not a nice world, and. I often try and say to myself, try and separate the back pages from the front pages, but a lot of the back pages are going that way now. And certainly when, when, when they like to just slag plays off and not think about the mental health of people, these are the same papers that when, when someone, when a celebrity, you know, finds the pressure too much and, and un- sadly takes the ultimate measure to try and end it all for themselves all that hassle they're the same papers that are writing you know obituaries praising them and saying how great they are you know and yet it's it's often they're the outlets that have actually sent them down that path so that's something i think needs to be legislated against and people talk about the free press but you know freedom of speech is one thing but you shouldn't have freedom to be an evil bastard basically so 
anyway moving on and being less less serious for a minute um the season is starting again we're back to it the the drought's over we've got some games and we did mention it briefly before about brighton in the last podcast and i think um i would say at this point now the best place to get some um info on that game is probably by maybe not so much listening to us as listening to one of the other podcasts on here the ai scouted because they go into loads of detail about every single game liverpool play um it's dave and it's carl and have a listen to that you, you know there's some good content in there and have a listen to what we're going to face and then maybe listen to ai um, pros raw afterwards and recorded straight after the game where where you know i'm i'm on it occasionally as well we get on and we just talk about what's just happened and you know try and get it off all our chest but after that it's champions league isn't it it's rangers and it's something of um Something of a big game, isn't it, for us? It's, uh, it's. I don't know. There's a lot to be said. It's our, it's the city's rivals for the uh, Eurovision Song Contest host. It's there's. You're just you on know, me line. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to throw it in. The winner takes it all. <laughs> oh, I believe you've done it. Yeah. Well, oh, well, what would you rather win? Like the to be the host of the Eurovision Song Contest or to win like six points out of the two games? Uh, <laughs> I. I I'll take the six points. I don't want to know okay. part, um, because <laughs> you know anyone who is a is a fan of Eurovision knows that the UK and nil point seem to go hand in hand. Um, although I think they've got this opportunity to host it because they came second last year to Ukraine. Um, we won't delve into the political realms of Eurovision and voting. Um, no. But yeah, it, it, it's a shootout for for the Eurovision title and. Yeah, maybe the winner does take it all, and it, it rightfully should be us. But um, I think it—it's a game. You know, I think we touched on it last week. Uh, you know, the, the media are going to love it, the Battle of Britain sort of thing. And I, am I right in thinking we've not played Rangers in a competitive form? I could be wrong on that. Um, I've heard that. I'll have a look now. Um, I'm, I'm not that. sure. I'll have a check. If it's if it's a hundred percent correct start, I know obviously we've we faced Celtic on a few occasions in European competition, um, but I'm not sure that we've actually faced Rangers on an actual competitive level standard. Um, I know we've played them in a couple of friendlies, but um, you know the, there's a lot of comparisons between us and Glasgow as a city. Maybe not us and Rangers as clubs because of their um, loyalist sort of support and our you know, anti-loyalist, anti-establishment sort of approach to life and support. Um, but, you know, it's it's two cities who've got, you know, two clubs within them. They've got vibrant fan bases as much as we slag everything off. They, they do turn up every week and, you know, they make noise, whether it's the, the positive or the boo, and they still make a noise, they make a din. Um, and the people of Glasgow is often given similarities to, to the people of Liverpool and sort of the their outlook on life, the the their approach to, you know, friendly sort of welcoming cities, um, you know, having that sarcasm and wit about them, but, you know, being passionate about being working class and, and doing all they can for for the betterment of themselves and those around them. So I think it's it's gonna be a good occasion for both sets of fans, whether you're going to Glasgow or coming to Liverpool and um don't know if the games are played across like a two-week sort of period. I think we played them and then there's a week off and then the week we play them again. Um, so, yeah. you know, it, it is sort of, it's got that sort of two-legged affair of, of an old European tie. Um, you know, the, the good old days when you you wouldn't have to go through all the group stages. It was just straight out, shoot out. Um, so, and it, and it, there'll be a lot riding on it as well, won't it? Because if we play them twice in a row, by the time you've, you've got those two games out of the way, you're down to your last two and... You better yeah. feeling for where you are in the group then and what your chances are. I think this is crucial in terms of nominally Rangers are the weaker team in this group. Um, given what we faced, we 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 found obviously Napoli far too good um, at the time, and Ajax, you know, a good challenge. But we got three points out of the Ajax game. If you can get six points across the two games against Rangers, it puts you on nine. I think the old sort of saying is, if you get ten points, you'll go through. So. It gives you the opportunity then to to find a point across two games, which you would like to think would be enough. Um, 
it puts you in a positive position. It gives you know the other two teams an opportunity to take points off one another. And yeah. given how hectic the schedule is prior to the World Cup, if you can get the Champions League wrapped up with a game to spare, it will give you the opportunity, as we said, to to rotate the squad and give us um, opportunities to use players who maybe are coming back from fitness or maybe not playing on a regular basis to use them in in a game and and give them. 90 minutes or 60, 75, whatever Klopp sees fit. Yeah, and I've just checked. We've never played Rangers. According to LFChistory.net, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the Bible of all sort of historic Liverpool facts and stats, um, we've played them 10 times in friendlies, but never in a competitive uh, way. Never. Um, the, of the friendlies, three of them were testimonials by the look of it. And... The last, the first time we played them was in October 1892 when we were still a baby of a club. We got beat 6-1 at Ibrox. We've only played them twice at Anfield uh, in friendlies. We won one and lost one. The last time we played them at Anfield was in 1924. And the last time we played them at all, 2011, and that was at Ibrox. And we lost We lost 1-0. Um, starting lineup had we had Alexander Doney in goal. <laughs> Wow. Um, Glenn Johnson, Daniel Agger, Fabio Aurelio, Danny Wilson, Sebastian Coates, Maxi Rodriguez, who was running down the wing, Craig Bellamy, Andy Carroll, Lucas Lever, and that lad who's played for us recently, Jay Spearing, they started that game. <laughs> um, was that the Hodgson era or Daglish? Um, let me it check. Was it's, then, one of 2011. It, it feels like a Hodgson era, but. Oh, it doesn't say on here actually. So There's no Kincheski there, so I wasn't sure that it would be or not. Maybe yeah. that was prior to us signing the good old boy. Um, it was around that, you know, the two thousand yeah. ten to thirteen was a bit of a, a blur. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be a historical moment in terms of a competitive fixture, um, and you know, you've said many a time. It, it, the games come thick and fast, but it's how we like them. Um, two games at Anfield as well. I am fortunate enough to be able to get to both of these. I've not been much this season. This will this weekend will be my second game. Um, I haven't been to Ajax so far, and you know that the aura of a European night, the nights are drawing in as well. By the time we kick off, it'll mm. be nice and dark. The floodlights will be on. There'll just be that special sort of European night tackle in the air to feel and it's getting a little bit chilly now as well it's it's something that it's so nostalgic um, you can't really take it away and you, I don't know about other, other teams other countries other stadiums but you know many players and managers who've been to our field on the European night always reminisce about how special it is and you know I, I, I feel so lucky to get to go there on a on a regular basis and you know I think the fact that Rangers and given recent sort of um, situations that have happened in the UK with the, the past of the Queen, I think there'll be a little bit of extra space in the air as well. Yeah, definitely. I think um, we saw how Glasgow Rangers um, local rivals reacted to the Queen's death, and yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, you know, each to their own and all the rest of it. I mean, I, I, I think that's more a message to Rangers than it is to the Queen. I think. If anything, oh, yeah. it's more, you know, it's and and that's that's the bit. I mean, it's it's maybe not the best kind of spice to have, but every city has its spice between the clubs, and you know, let's not go too much down that path. It's a shame that there is all the sectarian stuff still going on, but you know, maybe maybe rather than telling people off for saying things, people should get people talking and find out why they're so unhappy about one way or the other. That's that's another another thing for another day, though. You know, you, you can't just stand and shout at people without actually talking to them to see why they're not happy about something. But, yeah, we're going to be... I think you're right. I mean, the, the, the way you describe that then is this now feels like the season is now starting. It's been a weird season so far. We've had this break. We've had this sort of chance to sort of reset ourselves a little bit. And as you say, off we go. I mean... Brighton first, and then playing under the floodlights. That's when that's that's how that's when we thrive. We thrive under floodlights. We, as as a club, as players, as fans, there's you'll know yourself when you walk into the ground. Wherever you, however you get to the ground, there comes the point where you know you're off your you're out your car, you're off the train, you're off the bus, whatever, and you walk into to the ground, and you get that buzz that just sort of increases as you get nearer. That that feeling that you get that I don't know. 
a sort of a tingle almost, the, the excitement that you're nearly there, you're nearly at the ground, it's all going to happen. And, you know, it's such, um, as you walk into the shrine, it's all lit up for you. It's it's a different buzz completely, isn't it, to a weekday game. It's hard, a weekend game or a week during the day game. It's just it's hard to explain, but just has another element to it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it, you know, I, I'm one of the fans who likes to go to one of the local pubs or, you know, the local sort of establishments in the area before the game. And, you know, I think if the club had it their way, they would like was in the ground nice and early and, you know, mm. buying their sort of beverages and food that's on offer. But at the same time, you like to support a local business. That's just the way, you know, the sort of the mentality is around the city of, if you've got these small businesses who thrive on on match day income, then then why wouldn't you give them a bit of a a helping hand? So that that's that. But as you say, if you've if you've been to our field, you've been fortunate to be to our field. In this current day and age, the the big main stand does make it stand out a lot more, and the current Anfield Road and that's being built will only enhance that. But you could arguably walk down the narrow streets and until you actually are on top of Anfield it just sort of appears out of nowhere and mm. for, for such a big stadium it, it's a weird thing to say but people will know if they've, if they've sort of made that walk that the night the, the night's being dark and the, the, the night that's the narrow tight sort of streets and the way that the layout is around Anfield it does sort of appear out of nowhere and it is that special feeling um, as much as you know you do love a nice Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, which we've got this week, and you know a nice bit of sunshine in the air on a nice summer's day. There is something special about the night games, and yeah, I I can't wait for for next week. I don't know if it was that obvious in my voice that um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, but you know, there's not a lot going on as we've said, positivity wise in in the current climate of the UK, and um, it's that that age to get back, and we know this season's sort of going to be a bit of a mishmash and we've got I think it is seven or eight weeks now until the World Cup and we, we've got to squeeze a lot in so I think it just sort of amps up the appetite to, to want to get there and want to be involved because it's going to be a really strange period between mid mid November to I think Boxing Day is when we resume um, football and even then you know the build up to Christmas is going to be a bit weird and we haven't got the game between Boxing Day and New Year where we normally have one day that sort of breaks up your Christmas break and your tradition as much as people moan about you know the congestive fixture list. If you are a football fan, there's something that sort of gives you something to look forward to between Christmas and New Year. That low, that period of six or seven days gives you you know a goal to sort of maybe meet up with friends or maybe go to the game or whatever. And I think last year's one was the horrific Leicester game so it wasn't so well yeah. Um, but yeah it, it it feels like a sense of normality coming back um, and you know when, when the games come thick and fast it, it gives you a lot more topic of discussion um, we've we've sort of scraped around everything now I think we can in, in, in this podcast today because we're, we're just a day early on on any sort of regular team news and yeah um, we don't really know where we're going to lie, but you know, in, in a couple of weeks' time, we've probably played four or five games by the time we maybe next get back together. And who knows where the situation could be in the season then? Because you know, two or three competitions, we could be, you know, on our way to the next stage of the Champions League and maybe back up in the the top four or five positions in the league, which I think is is more than anything vitally important that we start fast um, come Saturday and. We put a marker down. I'm not really sure on on the fixtures of other teams who they've got. The Manchester derby is this weekend. I know that, but anybody else, I couldn't tell you who who's playing who. But we need to, you know, at very least maintain our nearest rivals. And you know, is it going to be Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea? You know, maybe at the moment, but probably in the long run, not really. So. We need to say level pegging with Man City at least between now and and the World Cup break in, in what we retain in points anyway. We've we've got to stay level with them, and if not, maybe ahead of them because we have got a fixture in two weeks against them. If we can 
we can put three points on the board against them, which we've not done for a couple of years, it would be a huge benefit to us. Yeah, and I think I think one thing as well is that I think Klopp will have the attitude like this, and the other players will have the attitude as well. He's like, you know, that thing, take one game at a time. Don't worry what the other te- teams are doing because you can't change what they're doing unless you're playing them. Um, you know, assume in, on the one hand that they've, they've all got easy fixtures that they're going to win, but also assume that even an easy fixture can turn out not to be and that, you know, it's not over yet, not by a long chalk. You know, don't don't give up just because you see another team doing well. You know, maybe they're just having a good spell. All teams have bad spells. It's... You know, break yourself out of Sky's little bubble that it tries to put you in for every game where every game is the be-all and end-all of the season until after it's over when they start building up to the next game. It coincidentally ends, ends up being the be-all and end-all of the season. That's not how it works in football. It's um, far more to it than that, far more to it than that. It's not that. It's a simple game, but it's not as simple as that, you know, as, as Gareth Southgate knows. And so it's time, you know, to just get ready. I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, We'll be back soon, won't we? And we'll have something to talk about, I'm sure. What we didn't do, we didn't get a chance. We um, we were going to talk about the tweets with all the quotes which we've been enjoying because yeah. you sort of we we talk about this. We talk for an hour, and you kind of then you suddenly see see a quote that you've said, something that you've said, and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't remember that now. Yeah, I think uh, Dan Rhodes got to take the credit for that. Mm. If they've sort of popped up, and anyone who follows, obviously, you listen to this podcast, you probably do follow Anfield Index on social media. Um, and you probably are in the Discord group, which if you are and you can keep up with it, fair play, uh, because it's it's far too fast for me. And yeah. I probably nip in and out of Discord maybe once every two or three days and see if there's anything to take note of. But yeah, if you are a member of the Discord channel um, and you enjoy that, then you know, you're know you doing a lot more than I am because it's far too fast. But uh, I did ask the question, who is cutting up our podcast and putting our quotations out um, and Dan Rhodes was the answer so thanks to him um, yeah, hopefully it's you know serving some some points of entertainment for those who maybe are listening to us for the first time this is what we tend to bring on a regular basis just an informal chat of what's going on around the world we try and give a little spin on you know the, the approach of people who live in the city and in the vicinity of the ground and um, you know, you might agree with us, you might not agree with us, but what we do like to do is, you know, welcome any sort of feedback. And if you like what we say, then please let us know. If you don't like what we say, then, you know, let us also know um, via Twitter or via Discord. As I say, if you if you are on the Discord channel, there is a, a Scouts of Tommy's page right near the bottom of the list. But anything that is in there, we, we will see it. And, um, we will respond. So, yeah, thanks to Dan, and hopefully, um, there's a few more snippets from this latest podcast that can be cut up and, and put out there. And if Paul Hollywood is listening, uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he'd be made up with his mention. He's been waiting about. You know, he's just not saying oh, yeah. to us. You know, um, once he's put highlight- his loaf down and whatever. <laughs> yeah, highlight of his career, that I'm sure. Um, the other thing, just to, and just to quickly finish on, really, is that this podcast is, you know. We've we've grown up in the shadow of Anfield, and that has been part of our life from the day we were born. We've loved the club since we were born. It's 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 hard to explain how much the club is sort of embedded into the whole fabric of the city, and you know the Liverpool Everton rivalry and all the rest of it, and and what what the city's like is it's a unique city. And I know maybe everyone says that about the city that that that's close to their heart, but I. I do think Liverpool's a very unique city and a very special place. And we try and hopefully give you a taste of that. But also from just from a football point of view, we're not here to make headlines. You know, we're not saying things that we think will make good sound bites. We're saying what we think, we're saying what we feel. Our our aim isn't to do anything other than, you know, to sort of set the world right, if you like, about what's going on with the club and what's going on with the city from our perspective. And you know, that means we're supportive of the club. We might sometimes not be supportive of the owners. Heaven forbid the time comes again, we might not be supportive of the manager. But if that's the case, if that's what we think the club needs, then we, we'll be critical, but we'll be supportive. And that's it. And that's, you know, as you know yourself by now, that's what it is. Being a Liverpool fan is about supporting this club and wanting it to do well, you know, and wanting to be part of its success. And, you know... As we've just said, it's all back to normal soon. Football begins again. By the time you're listening to this, if you've not had a game to look forward to 
you've got one you know it's on its on its way any second now so again thanks for listening thanks for always supporting us and thanks for supporting the reds and yeah we'll be back soon and hopefully with lots to smile about but for now see you soon we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.